Hello, hello. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. It's a beautiful day out here anyway. And it's beautiful on the East Coast also. It's gorgeous. Ooh, ooh, I love it. I love it. Anyway, thank you for joining us this morning, Kimberly. We love having you in the room. Always a pleasure. Loving you in the house, as they say. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as it does periodically come up, and a few weekends ago, I was at a high school class reunion. And it's just lovely when you've been doing your job for a very long time and you still love it. And people notice that that's apparent. (laughs) So I just feel very lucky. So I'm happy to be here and share uh, what I do for my job because I I love doing it. And last uh, last Thursday, Thursday before this past one, that I was at a film festival that a producer had invited me to because his film was the opening night movie. And I thought, oh, am I going to know anybody here? And then right after I walked into the lobby, someone called my name. It was an actor who, and this never gets old, I got him his very first acting job. So oh how could you not love your job? <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So uh, <laughs> that's amazing. But that's how that's how it should be too, you know, that there's a there's a deeper understanding about what you do and that's why you love it because there's a connection to sort of a creative part of yourself that you know, it wants to express itself in this way. And it's so funny because it does go very, very far back. I did study acting, which I I think I brought that up perhaps in the room before. So I think I come to casting and directing from that very special place of knowing and loving the actual craft of doing it and having that opportunity to help people excel. But as a young teenager, I saw my first Broadway show growing up in Connecticut. We'd go into New York and it was a chorus line. And my mom was a little disappointed because that doesn't have as many big showy numbers and like costuming and bells and whistles as all of the other many Broadway shows she had seen. But it is the moment I fell in love and thought, wow, those people have a very cool job. But it was those people. And now here I get those people jobs. <laughs> so yeah. it really has been this huge, like for my, since I've been a teenager, you'd hear these stories about other people. Yeah. When I was a kid, I knew. Well, at that moment in that Broadway theater, I yeah. knew that that was something special. Isn't and here that, I am. That's fantastic. It really is that you can make that connection. So what would you, I mean, how, what would you say to somebody who was thinking about being a casting director? Ooh, such a great question. Well, it's such a multi-layered job. So if you're a person who's only creative and you're absolutely terrible at logistics, you better be one of those people who finds a casting partner who's like super duper loves Excel spreadsheets and organization and keeping track of things because it really is a both sides of your brain job. And fortunately, while I am just eternally thankful for my parents who allowed me to be creative always 
that I'm a very creative person, but I love organization. I mean, me taking a break would be like, can I alphabetize my, you know, DVD collection or like clean the the refrigerator and have and or the cupboard and have all the labels out. So I also love organization and spreadsheets and color coding and that all of the things too that make casting, you know, easy to work mm-hmm. through. Because if your stuff is disorganized, wow, it is. it just makes something that's already hard even 10 times harder. So it's that you have to be insanely creative, think outside the box, love people, and get joy from other people's success. Because it's really all about other people's success that you're teeing up the actor for success then and then getting the right cast tees up the director for success so that if you really want to be the center of attention yourself probably not a good job because you're so not the center of attention definitely not that job is it no you are the genius when it all works out and when it doesn't work out what were you thinking That's the same in a lot of areas, the same with management too, you know, it's like you got to be, you got to be all things to everybody and yet, you know, you've got to take care of yourself too, you know, make sure that you're in the right frame of mind. (laughs) Yes, but you, and really very early on too, because around that same time, another little prolific thing that happened and which is why somebody told me my production company really should be Lucky 13 because everybody else finds 13 unlucky because I was 13 when I saw the Broadway show, but I was also 13 when we went back to Arkansas for my mom's high school reunion. And she went to Little Rock Central High School, which was the first high school in the United States to be integrated. And so hearing about that and what that was like for her and how wrong racism was, et cetera, et cetera. Here at 13, I had these two like prolific happenings in my life that then, you know, translated to when I got this job as a casting director, that was really grand. But then I quickly realized that in this position, if I play my cards right, I also have an opportunity for social change by creating opportunities for those whose scripts are not written for. So one face at a time, I could start changing the new normal of who we see on TV. So I love that it's really important right now to people about diversity, but that has been, you know, a peg I've had my hat hanging on for my entire 33-year career. Wow. That's that's fantastic. Whoa. So, but also, I mean, there's also this other part where you actually get to work with other creatives as well, because you get to work with the director, you get to work with the producer, and you get to work with the actors as well, right? Well, and one other piece there too, when you're working in independent film, is that you, in a lot of cases, are also working with the writer. So I have done many lectures and put panels together because I'll often get asked to speak, but when I'm given the liberties of saying, you know, there's something a little more interesting here than only talking to one piece of, you know, this creative triangle, which is the writer, director, and the casting director, that I've done panels and had writers talk about what their images for these characters were, and then the director talk about it, and then I, from a casting perspective, would speak of it. And to see that three different people had three different ideas and nine times out of 10, when you introduce them with that new idea, that's really from a creative place that that's what is cast. And so I love hearing from writers and directors that this is not at all what I had in mind, but absolutely perfect. And thank heavens it came up as an option. So how do, how do those conversations go? I mean, you know, let's say you're presenting 10 different actors 
you know, how, what is it about the directors that that that, that guide you and say, okay, no, I don't. I, this is the kind of person I want for that. And then, how do you take that information, send out audition notices, bring people in? I mean, what's that process like for you? Well, I think I was just too young and naive in the beginning to know that stepping outside the box like that may, in some instances, be considered 100% wrong. So I actually just by accident didn't know any better. So I would always, of course, present, you know, what they're asking for, because obviously I can read the breakdown or if you're a British, the brief right. and know what it is that they think they're looking for. And then just introduce these other new and interesting ideas that they maybe hadn't thought of. And that's where it goes to having this love of acting and the good fortune of starting in a regional market where I got to work on everything. I didn't have to pick a lane. Like if you're in a big market and you start out in casting, you often have to pick an area of expertise. And so you're either working in features, you're either working in television, you're either working in stage, or there is the corporate industrial training type things that you can also work in. And usually people don't cross pollinate in those, but you start in a regional market. I started in Washington, DC, which is again, the mid-Atlantic. So it was a bigger region as far as regions are concerned but I got to do everything. So I was also out in the theater a lot of times and you know, was attending every possible thing I would to get to know talent because still a market very underserved in the management and agent situation. So it was now my job to also be that person. I didn't have a lot of people to contact. So just in my personal brain, my human Rolodex, there's a lot of people floating around and all of that to say that it comes back to that I know talented actors. So if you're putting in a talented actor, it doesn't matter if they fit the description or not, because if they're the best storyteller of that story, and that's where I come from, the best storyteller always wins, that it's that unique interpretation of the story that they just never saw coming, that they become so engaged in, that they forgot what it was they were looking for anyway, because now that's what they want. So it was just by putting something on the buffet that they just didn't know they wanted, and wow. now they just can't live without it. <laughs> but I love what you say about storytelling, because I think, I think that's what actors miss out on some of their the way that they audition is they don't realize they're actually telling a story. They think they're just auditioning. And that's two very different camps of thought, right? Yes. And I very, 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 very much come from if you do not understand that you're a storyteller and that it is your job to tell the story. The story may be 4,482 words and the script is only 482 words. So it's your job to take those 4,000 words and utilize the 400 words and tell the story. Right. And if you don't understand the story that you're supposed to tell within the script, how is it going to happen what I just described? That the director, the writer, the producer is going to think, I never heard the story this way. So if you don't understand that you're a storyteller, anybody can just pick up the script and read it then. They don't need me. They don't need you because they can read on their own. So if you're just reading the words and not telling the story, you have missed 99.9% .9 of your job. As yeah, far as absolutely. I'm absolutely, <laughs> and not anyone can, and not everyone can do it. That's why, and not everyone can do it every single time, either. No matter how experienced an actor you are, you don't always hit that mark every single time. Well, I think there's that inherent just sparkle 
that somebody gets yeah. when there is a hundred percent of connection that. to the material. And so it's even people who are talented. You know, I've been in many a callbacks that I love. It's always my favorite thing when the directors and producers are so confused. They're like, I don't know. There's so many good choices. I can't decide. I'm like, yes, I get to work another day. And because now there's so many people who are great storytellers, but it's the person with the sparkle that had that extra level of just connection to it. And is it that you had a personal life experience with it, that you've always wanted to tell this story, but there's always one pers person who just sparkles a little brighter than everybody else. Yeah, I love that. I've seen that in action too. And that's and just, it's they, amazing. It's, it's, it's is amazing, magical. isn't it? Yeah, mm -hmm. just, I can't, I can't keep talking about it enough because I Yeah, I mean, I have goosebumps even just talking about it because the moments it happens that even of film that I cast this summer, it was, we had gone through the six people who came to callbacks were all fantastic women. They all did a great job in callbacks. It was very tricky to decide. And then we narrowed it down to three and then we got it down to, there was this one, but I could just see that the director and she was like, you know, I've just, I, she's my choice right now. But I said, I'm going to stop you right there. I'm not even going to let you complete the sentence. I know you didn't see the sparkle. I said she did a great job. If we cast her, it would be fine. I said, but you didn't see the sparkle. So I'm not done. I am not done until you see the sparkle. <laughs> and so we were going to go back again. But there was one gal who I've known for 30 years. I didn't bring her to callbacks because it was six great people already coming. So I thought, oh, should I, shouldn't I? And I was like, well, we already have six people coming. It's okay. We're going to find somebody out of these six. They did great. And I said, could you just go back and watch Beth's tape? And then if you can believe it, Beth's tape deleted. Somehow I didn't save it properly. She had deleted it. She's a theater actor. So she's like, delete that tape. She doesn't keep them. Like the audition's over. So, and again, in a psychological place, she's like, can't look back at that and wonder, guess, work, whatever. It's gone. So I said, well, let's just have her come to callbacks. La, la, la. Of course, they were in love with her. They saw the sparkle. And then I was mad at myself because I saw the sparkle. The first tape she sent in, I was the first one I got back. I was like, it's her. But when they didn't call her back, I was like, but the other six people are great. I'm not going to throw it. And of course, then they saw the sparkle and they were in love with her. They're the president of her fan club. <laughs> so wow. you got to see the sparkle. <laughs> you know, exactly. And that's, you know. Uh, Judah says in the in the in the comments, um, as a writer, even the smallest parts are there for a reason. Even the bit rolls out there to push the whole of the whole to push the whole of the story, or they wouldn't be written in. If you don't know the entire story, you don't know how to even play that bit. Oh, see, that's why he he and I work together so well. Because yes, yeah. every every piece of the story is important, and if it's not important, then why are they in there? And yes, if you don't understand the story at every last character, those words are on the page for a reason. So it's so critical that you do. I, I'm actually getting notes back to uh, another writer, you know, on something. And I've literally gone through and underlined some of these things. because It's a film I happen to be directing also. So it's just like the, the note to the actor about how impactful this moment is. So if you don't understand these few words that are here, and the whole story behind them you could easily just deliver it in one way but if you yeah. really look deep to the story of what's going on here and it's usually twofold you know and in this one particular instance it was the character was saying these words out loud for the first time so there's the emotion of what you're sharing with this person that's important to you 
But in that moment, if it's something you say out loud for the first time, you also then have an emotional reaction to that. So yeah. what does that look like? So that's literally like two channels on the dial that you need to be focusing on at that time. And if you're only a person who's like, I've memorized my lines, I'm going to, as this character, deliver these lines, you've missed out on two amazing reaction shots, which comes from the Steve McQueen school of acting, that less talking you're doing, the more reacting you're doing. And if you're really great at telling a story without any words, that's when you become a master actor. Because you understand the whole story. You should be reacting an entire time, not acting. Yeah, there's that Ryan Gosling um, a feature called Drive. I don't know if you saw it, where he hardly spoke, but he every bit of emotion that he was carrying, you 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 felt and saw on him. Which I haven't seen that one, so I'm going to have to watch it because it is critical. So that and also, if you recall, there was some people who commented on Casey Affleck in Manchester by the Sea. They're like he wasn't doing anything. Oh, Oh, he was doing a lot, a lot. Yes, so much. And I think it was were they equating that he wasn't talking a lot. It's because he was so tortured in this existence that he wore it on his face and his body and his, you know, kind of lumbering around. It was brilliant. And that's why he got an award. Exactly. And I think people, you know, sometimes, you know, you just talking to some of the actors that I represent, you know, you're you're talking about the way that you can convey emotion. And sometimes like the younger ones think that there has to, it has to be loud. You have to say something, you have to react in some way. But, but I think the most intense emotion is, is simmering in you and boiling inside of you. And that's what he did. That's what Casey Affleck did in, in that film was that you you felt everything he felt and and some people missed it which i thought was extraordinary actually i know i know which which i agree with you and it's often uh you know in coaching sessions with actors really digging into that also that piece that you're talking about is every word that is on the page is not always intended to be spoken for the other person to always hear there's some of those things that are just a quiet moment with ourself that you say them out loud for the courtesy of the audience because it is so important that the writer did not want to leave this emotion stone unturned so the words are there but they're not necessarily to be said so loud they can be said in a quiet moment to yourself because there's even times we do say things and we don't intend for the other person to hear it and and they may and that creates another impact so having a real understanding of not being somebody who's presentational with your acting but you're really sharing and allowing the words to wash over people that that tempo change and just that auditory moment can change the impact of a scene dramatically And that's important to showcase in your audition because you're showing the volume and the range you have, even if it's only a page of dialogue. If we take it back to auditions, I always very specifically say you should try to find a very specific beginning, middle and end of this scene. Make sure your character is having a little arc. There's an arc of the whole story, but there should be an arc in every scene or you're missing out on the story in the scene and if we take it back to audition showcasing your talent in the audition 
Well, that's exactly the question that I think Laura was wanting an answer on. What do you think about actors giving another take? You know, should they do two takes unless it's specified by the by the casting, of course. But do you think they should ordinarily do two takes? I always ask for two so I can decide. But of course, the general note is they should be different or what's the point of doing two? Right. That most important, it should be within keeping of the show. So that's a place that's definitely a misstep that people do great auditions, but they're just not at all right for the genre of the movie or the style of the show. So again, great audition, wrong show. So, so that's really important to keep in mind. And if doing the take that, you know, you know and understand the concept of the show or the movie, so you should do that take, but don't hold yourself back that as long as it's within the style of the show the show could be every shade of blue so do that neutral shade of blue that you know is a hundred percent in keeping with the show but there's some other colors of blue that may have a more strong hue that you could now put in that somebody could say oh i hadn't really thought about it like that so i think making that bold choice again within keeping of the show is going to serve you well because they're going to see now also on top of it all your range so by sending two you should again be showcasing your talent i can do it this way but i also you know 100 degrees in the opposite direction still in the same hue this genre of the show i can also tell the story this way now yeah, they know oh this is a versatile actor they've right. got some tools in the tool belt so give us an example of bold choices one of my favorites, again, goes back to the mm -hmm. understanding of the story and the tone that I just spoke about, that everything is not always at the same volume. Have an understanding of everything that you're saying. And just because there's a passage of dialogue, it doesn't mean it's all delivered as one moment. Would you take a moment to pause here before this word would come out or the remainder of the sentence? In real life, we do not have it organized exactly what we're going to say. So there's mm. moments we take a pause to go, okay, I've just said this. What's my good follow-up to this? So there's that. And use the space so that you're creating an environment. If you're referring to people in a scene, let me see you gesture to them. So you're creating now a whole world and you're allowing me to see that you're existing in a world within this scene. And if it would make sense for you to laugh, actors never laugh in scenes. In real life, when we are telling stories, we chuckle. <laughs> We're in a chuckle. So I see that you're a human. That is hysterical. That's true, though, isn't it? They don't yeah, laugh. So I do point out, like, it, you know, what, what do you think you might do in real life here? You know, is this a situation where you'd be nervous and you might laugh and then, you know, actors will, you know, sit and take a moment that, yeah, I mean, maybe. And then they try it out and they're like, oh, it just, it lightens the mood. It maybe shows that you're nervous, that you don't want to get something out. So just be thinking through in real life, what would I do? Or what would Susie, my best friend, do? Because she feels really like the character. It's like, you're really creating something for us. So let us see all of that. There's the character and all the great traits of the character. And if you weave yourself into that, that's where it becomes your unique take on the character. 
Because right. you didn't void the character and you didn't void yourself. You made this interesting tapestry. So by adding all these layers, it becomes a little bolder than everybody else just going with the first pass that they read because they memorized the lines and they thought they knew. I promise if you sit down and ask yourself question after question, why exactly am I saying this? Why might I be saying this? What's the backstory of this character and what's their life been like? How would they say that? There's things that impact our delivery. So those bold choices that you've done more work to use the text as a script detective, as I always call it, understanding what the story is. And those bits of information will enhance your choices, making them bolder and stand out more than anybody else. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Because, you know, it will make a total difference in the performance that you give. And when you casting, watch it, it stands out. There's something about that that performance that will stand out over and above everybody else. Absolutely. So, and I, yeah. always, I also tell people that I know are singers, because I've done so much private coaching too, that if you're a singer and there's a line that makes sense that could be sung, then now you also just showed that you sing. And you didn't have to tell them that you sing. You didn't have to say, oh, blah, 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 I'm so-and-so and I'm also a singer because you just sang a lyric and I've had it happen on two different occasions that it was a very successful, you know, addition to an audition for two actors right. because it even made the scene more impactful by singing the lyric or by singing this one piece of dialogue because it added to the story. It made that portrayal of the character far more interesting than somebody who just said the line, as opposed to singing the line. So I'm curious about this, this, this next question. Um, and I'm just trying to find the right words to, answer, to ask it of you. There's, there's moments where the actor feels uncomfortable, you know, and, and, and they can either go, one way or the other. They can either withdraw and not take that next bold move or they can they can just move with their with their emotions and actually make it come to life in front of you. What would you what would you say to that actor in trying to, you know, in saying, listen, you know, this just bring it out, just keep going. What would you say to them? 100% lean into it because it's going to expose your natural emotions and people are going to see what a caring, loving human being lives in you to be mm -hmm. able to tell the story. So I say lean into that, but I will say this is a great example of why every actor should be in training all of the time. I say it repeatedly. You should fall down in class. You should go out on a limb. Try all these things. Make really bold choices so you fall down in class if it doesn't work. Don't try to be perfect in class. No teacher is looking for the perfect student. They're looking for the student who takes risks. So if you take all these risks in class, you now have an understanding of your own personal range, what makes you comfortable, what makes you uncomfortable, and you now can showcase your talent from a very secure place in the audition room or in your right. self-tapes. Right. And also, you know, I love what you say about don't be perfect in class, you know, fall down in class, because how else are you going to learn if you, don't, if you don't push yourself just that little bit more 
to create a different dynamic for yourself and to and push the boundaries of your limitations away from you so that you can really feel like you can own that part, right? Well, yes, and being uncomfortable in class and falling down, it's how you get back up again. So now yes. you also have poised yourself with the skill of if you fall down in the audition, get back up again. Because when you just carry on and keep going, that also says so much about you. It says you will not falter on set if you mess up a line. In life, we just self-correct if we make a mistake. We do not say, I'm sorry, can I start over again? And then start our conversations over. If you did that in life, people would think you're a lunatic. So don't do <laughs> We're recreating reality. Remember recreating reality. When you mess up, you usually just self-correct or you laugh at yourself and then carry on. You don't say, hi, can I start over again? And again, people will think you're crazy if you start your conversations over. What if you got through a whole story and the last three lines were wrong? Hi, can I start that story over? Because I just feel like I messed it up here at the end. No, just keep going. Muscle through. It says you don't falter when something goes wrong because things go wrong. Your scene partner, even sometimes the famous people, they mess up lines too. And you're on the receiving end of that. So you have to be nimble enough to just dive in, carry on, figure out where you're supposed to pick up, give a cue that's gonna help them get back on track to give you the cue that you need to deliver your line. So the more you fall down, the more nimble you are around getting back up again and just moving forward. Yes, I mean, I, that's so true. I mean, I saw Brian Cranston on stage and afterwards, you know, we were talking to him and he was like, oh, I was so tired. And his fellow actor turned around and said, you were so tired, you messed up most of your lines, you know, but we kept going. And <laughs> I mean, as an audience, we didn't have a clue that he messed up his lines, you know, and but he kept going. And I thought that was amazing, you know, that he was so convincing, even though he didn't know what he was saying. <laughs> Which is a great example to draw yes. back to the audition, that when you're in the audition room and now when you're sending in self-tapes, they're watching your tape. They're not sitting there with the script ticking off every word that you say. So if the story is being told in a way that is so compelling, unless you go totally off track, nobody notices that the words were not perfect. You might have strayed a little bit from the path, but if you correct and get yourself back on it and the story is still intact, that is what people are paying attention to. I will say that in, you know, given two takes, if somebody sends one and the words are not perfect, but it was a much more interesting iteration of the story, I send the one that's not perfect because now you seem like a real human. Yeah, the authenticity of, 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 the, uh, of the moment is important. And, and uh, I love what you're saying there. You're going to send that one in because it's more real, more authentic. And just so very much in the moment, like when we're living right. our moments in life, we're just in the moment. And, you know, sometimes we mess up and say something funny and that makes it more interesting. You know, you accidentally mispronounce a word and then you say, oh, wait, it's that. And, you know, just all of those moments are very real and just that. come off as much more authentic. I love that. Um... We have a question, Sheila. Hey, good morning. Nice good morning, Versa. Kimberly, hi. Oh, I love this conversation. And I love the, especially the, you know, the, the times we mess up and how you just keep going as we do in life. I love that so much. And I can't tell you how many auditions I've had that where I, you know, mess up a line or a word 
and then gone on to book it because I don't know, it, the rest of it felt real and I was in the moment. But um, I do have a question with uh, with your conversation about connection. Like some scripts I just read and it's knee jerk and I'm right there and I just feel like I understand it. And other times I just, you know, that, that what did you call it, sparkle, doesn't feel like it's resonating in me the same way. And it could be a kind of a big audition. And I, I feel, oh gosh, that part of me goes, should I send it in? Because it di didn't just flow the way I know it can. What, what is your thought on sending something that you know maybe you're not sparkling in, but send it anyway? It's sort of like what you were saying about class and you know, you just go, you just keep going. Was, that's sort of the way I think, but I would love to hear your thoughts, Kimberly. Oh, such an interesting layered question. I love that because you may not be sparkling with it and you don't want to send out bad work. So I think that's really being like a studio head with your own audition tapes. Like, would I ever hire this person? So if it's a tape that really, you know, is going to be detrimental to your talents, then I would say, well, don't send that. But if it's an opportunity for the casting director to at least see your work and it's good work, but you don't feel like it's sparkly work, then still send it because it's maybe just not sparkly for that character, but it might still show the strength of your performance and your skills. And if you're not finding the sparkle, maybe you just didn't dig deep enough with the homework that of look at the script. Why am I saying, go line by line by line. Why am I saying everything that's in here to the point we heard from Judah, even if it's a small role, it's in there for a reason. So that information and that exchange is so important that it appears in the script. So give it a why, a real understanding of why. And if you dig a little deeper, I think you'll find something. You'll find a little magic in there of a true understanding of the story and why I'm a part of the story. And I, I think that, that understanding yeah. will create the sparkle on the other end that the people who are watching are gonna go, well, gosh, nobody else really seemed so interesting in this role. And that's the difference between people who are just reading the lines and putting it on tape and the people who are really understanding the whole story, which is why, oh my goodness, everyone write it down. If you have an opportunity to read the entire script, 100% oh, yeah. read the entire script. I know a lot of times you're not given the entire script. I make sure at every turn when I can get a hold of it, I do. And I try to give as much information as possible from the actor standpoint of the why, so that you understand how I fit into this puzzle, because that's just so important that you have that understanding. And I've had people not read the whole scripts when they're given the whole script. And and then when you do, you know, there's special little great moments that a role in a feature that I cast, an indie feature, was taken away from a, a recognizable talent, not an A-list talent, but somebody recognizable because my backup person, because king of pilots, that he's always in pilots. And um, so I, I thought in case he gets cast, like I need to have a backup. His audition tapes were so fabulous. He did choose to read the entire script, even though I literally presented it. You're my backup. And in his slate, there was a special skill that you needed to have to play this character. So during, you know, his slate, he was just telling a little bit about himself. And he said, oh, and I heard there's a special skill. And as he said this special skill, he started doing the special skill during his slate, which was uh, flexing his pecs. 
because it literally says in the script that this character does this and his wife is mortified and embarrassed. So he did it. So I absolutely, I was like, director, producer, you must get on the line. This is so funny. We're all going to watch this tape together. And they're like, oh my gosh, he's the character. He's Rex. We have to rewrite the other role for Chris and we're going to let him play Rex. So he literally, because he read the whole script, did this funny little thing during his slate, got the role. And we rewrote and enhanced another role for the other recognizable actor. That's because awesome. Because his slate was great. But he read the whole script. He had an understanding of the character. Yeah. I, I mean, I completely agree with you. Uh, I mean, if you get it, the script, that is a gift. And, of course, it, you're going to read it. I mean, I would, I would for sure. Um, and I love that about the slate, too. And it sort of is connects with everything else you're saying to use the slate to show that sparkle as well. And to your point, maybe as long as your work is solid, you're saying go for it because you never know it's, it, you may not be right for this one, but you know, they'll have you at least as a good actor. If even if the sparkle isn't there for some reason or the, whatever, whatever they're looking for. 100%. Yeah. I, because of Clubhouse, have spent so much time over the last three years with other casting directors and hands down, the great performances are remembered and people will remember you. Casting people remember you. I, I've had directors then, oh, that person from that other thing, like, let's definitely have them come in because they love the performance and they didn't cast them in something else, but they just like you and want to work with you. So that good performances will always be remembered. But dig in and really understand the story and make some unique and interesting choices when you think you've answered all the questions and you're ready to go put yourself on tape. I say sit down one more time and say, why am I saying this? I and understanding yeah. the psychological and emotional state of your character in the scene is also going to add a nuance to the delivery that most actors are, again, not digging that deep for the audition. But if you were going to do that kind of work and preparation for the actual role, to go back and, you know, quote Michael Kostrop, you have the role while you're auditioning. So you must allow them to see every layer of your tapestry in that audition. So if you haven't done the deep dive work that you would do for the actual role, then how am I supposed to understand how diverse your portrayal of this character can be if you don't even know because you didn't do the work for the audition i understand that it's work and that's you know why it comes up but it's so much work to audition but if you love it so much it's not work it's just continuing to prepare yourself every day for tomorrow i mean everything i've done in my life has prepared me for everything I'm doing. I mean, who would have thought in my first job ever, I happened to cast some actors who were in a still photograph for the military. And it was photo, the photograph was taken at the Vietnam War Memorial at sunrise. And I went, cause I thought this is going to be amazing. This is gonna be an amazing photograph. I must go. I am directing a film right now that there is a scene at the Vietnam War Memorial of a mili retired military guy and his estranged daughter who's now in the military at the Vietnam War Memorial. Like I already had that image in my mind for 30 years and now it's happening in a movie. So every bit of preparation you're doing in your life as an actor is going to inform the next thing that you're doing. So it shouldn't 
feel like it's too much work for this one role because it's going to make you better preparation for the next one, the next one, the next one. Oh, that's thank you so much. Yeah, that is awesome. And by the way, the work makes it so much more fun in the end because you're, you know, you're really living it and connected. Um, so while it may take longer, it makes our, I mean, makes us do what we love. Otherwise, it feels uh, it's it's sticky. <laughs> When the more you do it, you get better at it. So it all yeah. starts to happen faster. But if you don't practice that preparation and that research for the audition, you're never going to get good at that. So the more you do it, the better you get, you know, and the 10,000 hour thing, it's true. You need those 10,000 hours. So start clocking them. Okay. Thank Absolutely. you so much. But it's also moving away from being generic. I think also a lot, I think a lot, you know, I see a lot of, uh, uh, audition tapes from people sending me their, you know, submitting themselves for representation. You see them, you see the tapes, you see the tape, and you, you, you want to kind of pick up the phone and call them and go, you could have made different choices in your audition tape. That's what would have made me want to sign you. And, you know, I'd love for you to talk more a bit about the, you know, like how many that you see are all the same, you know, all the auditions that you, tapes that you see are very similar to each other, because as you say, they don't go deep enough to bring out what that role in, in, entails. Well, that, and also I always used to say when we were in the room, I'm like, don't check yourself at the door. <laughs> Like you, you left yourself out there and you just came in here to be what you think I want today, but you are part of it. And especially in commercials. I mean, if you got called in the first place, you already look right. So now if you could just come in, say your name and insert product, <laughs> you know, you, you've gone over a lot of the hurdles that you have to get over. So, so don't leave all of your personal life experience outside the audition room or outside of your audition tape when you send it in. Everything you're bringing to the table is your unique interpretation of what's already there. So have a true understanding of the character and who they are and why they're there, and then infuse yourself into that. Now, if you're, you as a person have a bias to something about that character, you do need to check that at the door because that's not going to serve the story well. But everything else about you makes a unique interpretation of what that is. You may have been raised in the Midwest and we don't know where the character's raised. And maybe that little piece of information makes you deliver the script in a different way that becomes really resonant with the director. And they didn't even know that. So to not like allow yourself to work into it, I think is really important. And just another fun thing too, so all of your tapes don't feel the same. My first acting teacher, Gail, which I love her and I'm still in touch with her to this day, uh, she always had us pick a new mannerism for every character we were playing. And once you start doing that, you're now building in the physical side of your character. So if you pick one mannerism, you then start to behave physically in a different way, which is now not you always showing up as yourself in every role, but finding a new physicality for the character. So I actually always give acting homework is just observe people. Just a good start is watch people using their phones. It's hilarious <laughs> the way that people use their phones. So how does your character use the phone like you or like the 15 people that you should be watching all the time so that you can just start 
working in new and interesting things to make your interpretation of the character much more interesting than someone else's. God, I love that. Um, so what are the common mistakes that you see in, in auditions that just bring up major red flags for you? <laughs> That's so fun. I'm just chuckling here because that I'm such an optimist. So I always, so I always try to forget the bad things. Let's talk about the good stuff. But um, constructive criticism for self tapes. Yes, it is so easy now to get on Amazon one of those backdrops. <laughs> I know that in some instances you have some people who don't mind, but network TV for sure. And features and commercials, 100%. They are not forgiving about your house in the background. <laughs> they want a plain background and for sure in commercials. So if you're auditioning for commercials, 100%, you must get a backdrop. And the blue one is pretty standard in casting offices back in the day when people were in their casting offices. For whatever reason, commercials, they like the blue, it pops. So having that plain background is going to be really helpful in most instances. Unless, of course, you do get a direction that they want you in the environment, because I've had that come up before, too. So that is when you should follow that direction, but for sure for commercials. And another little tip about commercials, which I because I'm all about the psychology and the subliminal. So if you know the color of the brand, you should wear the color of the brand in your audition because now you're subliminally telling them you already represent the brand because you're in the color. So if it's State Farm, it's red. If it's, you know, Libby in the whatever store, I can't remember what it is. Is that AT&T? Like wear the blue, like pick the color so that you're already selling the product before you even open your mouth because you're already in the milieu of their color. So that's another little tip for auditions. And God, I love that. I have to say, I love that, Kimberly. That's I know it's been hilarious. Advice. Well, I did teach a commercial, and they're like, advice. I've never heard that before. And I'm like, I don't know why anybody, nobody thought of it before. Because I'm, I, uh, it's just shocking to me that nobody said it before. But I did think it was a pretty clever tip. Oh, uh, fantastic. <laughs> and if you are not good at self tapes, find a friend who can help you with that too. Because I did receive some terrible ones over the summer. <laughs> independent film that you know for whatever reason like she had her big headphones on and like if you're not like organize a place so that you can do it so you're creating the environment of if you were in a casting director's office not like sitting at your whatever table she was at with their big sound canceling headphones and so that it didn't work with the stories <laughs> it was very awkward and i of course couldn't send that forward and then there was on that same audition, like there was a guy who was a really potentially interesting choice, but th there was just too much going on in the background of the audition when I had five, you know, five, six others that were perfect. So if yours doesn't look as in keeping with everyone else's, it you have to keep in mind that the casting director is also being judged by the quality of the tapes. Well, yes. Absolutely. In some arenas. Now, independent film, again, I think the people are much more forgiving. They realize they're barely paying me, let alone should they be expecting your stuff to be perfect. But it, for network TV shows, big films, there is an expectation. So then the casting director can't send it out because then they look bad. Because we did at least have a control before that we were in charge of the lights, we were in charge of the sound, we were in charge 
of the backdrop. So now everything looked the same, with the exception of the one or two people who just really couldn't make it. So that is the expectation that now people are still having and you're just doing it at home. So by trying to make that background as neutral as possible, the focus is you and nobody's being distracted by any of that. Noticing that, oh, it's different than the last five I watched. So you're just helping yourself out if you do that. Right. Well, that's great. And so... I think not following directions is always a tricky one. Like, cause each situation is different. The directors and producers want different things. So all the work that goes into the directions in the audition breakdown or the brief, whichever you'd prefer to call it, is there for a reason because they've asked for these things because. <laughs> so we're not making it up to give you more work for sure, because any work that feels like it's more work for you is probably more work for casting. So it's really because somebody's, <laughs> somebody's asked for it. It's so true, isn't it? Um, absolutely. So I, w I wanted to ask you if someone is late for their auditions, do you accept emails from people or do you? This think, is so funny. This is kind it? of like the props, no props, casting directors. There's don't send it late. And then there's like, of course, send it late. I yes. come from the, of course, you should send it. Because send it with an apology note that I was unable to make the deadline, but in the event that you're still looking, because now I have it. Because sometimes they go through everything and they don't find enough things they like, or they've slightly changed it. And you're closer to what they changed it to because I was already going a little, you know, north and south of their request anyway. So I would prefer to have it late and sitting on standby than not have it at all. Right. And again, that's me. So you should definitely check out with the casting director. But I think when in doubt, you should send it with an apology note. I was unable to make the deadline, but in the event that you're still looking, I wanted you to have my tape. Exactly. Because they may still even look at it just because, oh yeah, well, oh yeah, Versa usually represents good people. This might be an interesting person. So you may want to take a look because there is a trust that goes in with reps. Or if you were invited direct and you're getting it in late, they invited you for a reason. So they may still want to look at your tape. Wow. Because it could happen, like on the yeah, independent film. They didn't absolutely. see the sparkle. So, you know, if people sent it in late, then I would I could have had those two compare as well. Like, oh, well, we didn't see this one before because she was late. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, again, for me, absolutely 100% send it late. But you should acknowledge that you're late. Don't pretend like, oh, I'm sending it in. I didn't realize I was past the deadline. So question about your experience as a casting director. How has that helped you as a, now that, you, you know, you're directing a feature as a, you know, how has that helped you um, prepare for your directing job? Well, I must because confess, I, I, my favorite classes in college were really my directing classes. And fortunately, God rest Ken Baker's soul, um, that I had a directing professor who I do think at the time, that was a long time ago, that he really was hardest on myself and another girl in class because he saw potential we didn't potentially even see in ourselves. <laughs> um, and so he pushed me really hard in directing class and I loved it. So I always had an interest in directing and then I accidentally fell into this casting job. And I will confess, 
no ladies casting or directing when I started my career. I was so in love with my job and was thinking, oh, someday I'll do that. Someday I'll do that. Someday I'll do that. But what 26-year-old girl, when you're meeting huge directors, because it was studio features, would come through DC all the time is going to go, oh, yeah, I mean, I think I could be a director because, you know, Alan Bakula of the Pelican Brief and all the president's men, like I could do what he does. I mean, so I think it was just, it felt like a far reach at the time, but so then continually having this opportunity, audition after audition after audition for all these years to be directing talent and seeing the changes make and digging into scripts and then teaching scene study classes. I think all of it is just fed into now a much grander understanding of the entire business and how all of that impacts the direction I give to an actor really is the domino effect of making everybody else's work look great. So I, I think it was studying acting and then studying directing and then just watching and watching and watching the masters, which we can do that certainly by watching movies, but I've had the opportunity to watch some amazing directors literally in real time, standing in video village, watching the direction that they gave, to the actors, the cinematographers, and just watching it unfold. So I think it's a lifetime of preparation. That's fantastic. We've got, a, I just realized we've got Bill up, Bill up here. Sorry, Bill. Um, Sorry, Bill, Kimberly talks so much that we can't get a word in twice. <laughs> <laughs> Not Bill, to work. Yes, uh, just, I'm sorry. What's your question? Good morning, and what's your question for us? Well, yes, good morning to you, and thanks so much, uh, Versa and Kimberly, for great, great advice and so much, covering all the different angles about bringing reality to the role and bringing your life to the role. So just marvelous. And I just wanted to, um, I there was initially, uh, Ju Judah had made a, a comment in the chat there, and then uh, Kimberly, you kind of expanded on it a bit too about, uh, read the whole script if you have the opportunity <laughs> to read the whole, the whole script. Um, and I just wanted to offer you guys, everybody in the room, uh, a little hack that I have learned um, on Actors Access. I had to, oh, there was a low budget film and I had a, a there was a, it was just a, like two, three pages or something, this character uh, and interacting with two characters who made mention of a third, but there was no relationship that was established within the sides. So I thought, well, let me go get the sides for this character and this character and the one they're talking about. And it just sort of led me down this rabbit hole. And before I knew it, I had, I had gotten all of the sides and I was able to piece together pretty much the whole script. So it was kind of amazing. And I just wanted to you know, I'll throw that out there as something that might be useful. To no, it's a very great hack because um, <laughs> that falls under my script detective part. And so a, a student of mine literally did the exact same thing because he was like, I was being a script detective and I noticed and I noticed. So yes, if you can sneak and get all of the sides for a show, you can start piecing together a lot of information because he literally even called me on the phone after he's like, oh my gosh, thank you so much because the script detective thing, I did this and he did the exact same thing. And it really informed what was going on in the scene because he found out the attorney of his was a female and not a male. And that kind of a relationship would be different. So it's so important to get as much information as you can to be telling the best story. So yeah. good hack. 
Thanks. Thanks, Bill. Um, Jerry, I love that shot of you trying to... I'm not sure what you're doing, trying to kill that person, strangle them. It just looks hilarious. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it. I was like, I'm are doing. we preparing for Halloween? <laughs> <laughs> no, this is, a, this is a play I'm doing right now. Um, but good morning, Versa. Good morning, Kimberly. Good morning. Nice to see you here. Good morning. Um, so I have a question about slates um, because, uh, and this is great for you, Kimberly, because you have experience in theatrical and commercial, the commercial world. Because um, I, I just recently had a really good commercial class and kind of learned something which is very kind of opposite of what I had learned years ago in terms of commercial slates that you really want to make them as short as possible you know, just the information, nothing extra. And I'm just wondering if um, y what your feeling is about theatrical slates, um, if it's uh, as much about personality as, a as about information, or is it really just more for the information? What's your feeling about that? Just curious. In the end, I feel like this goes back to that, depending on your casting director, they have a very different style and choice for it. But each one of the directors we work with will have a different choice of what it is that they want. Like every show is kind of specific, but for me, there is, I, I usually end up doing these two things with them, the slate, the perfunctory, just basic information situation. But I always, because now you're not getting to meet people in the room, will have just a little fun under a minute. So it's something I can email, <laughs> I will request just a teeny tiny, like, who are you and why would you be great for the role? Like, tell me a little bit about you. And so that's an opportunity now for them to totally see your personality a little more than just your slate. And the reason for a slate showing your personality with the information, especially if it's a dramatic departure from the role you're playing, now you've just kind of showed them your range as a human and the actor you're playing, the character you're playing. So now they're seeing, oh, and this person made this big jump because I know some people say, oh, well, you know, do your slate and character. So they already see you as that role. I don't know, because then I don't know what your range is. Now, are you acting or are you just like that? So what's the range beyond that? And a lot of times, to be honest, I don't share the slates. I like to just share the work. So they see the work and then they can see the slate later because they're trusting that I brought good people. So I like to let the work speak for the work. And to me, those other items are supplementary material because it shouldn't matter how you say your name or who you are and why you think you're right for the role. Are you good at the job? <laughs> so, of telling that story. Yeah. So it's really knowing who is the audience. Like it goes back to who is the audience, the casting director, the director, the producers, like what exactly do they want and making sure that that slate is in keeping with the genre of that show, which I had mentioned before, or that casting director's preferences, and then whatever is in the brief. but. Nine times out of 10, if you get absolutely nothing, you should showcase who you are and how wonderful you are in your slate while giving the information. You still want to be informational, but that doesn't mean it has to be dry and uninteresting. And then doing the work. And if that is a big departure, probably in something narrative, that's just going to show the detail that went into creating the character who is very different from yourself. So that will only serve you well. So do you do, so let's, let, let's talk about accents. So if the role says they want a British accent, do you then slate in the British accent or do you slate in the American accent? And how confusing is that or not? <laughs> well, it's, 
I always love this one. Well, I'm just going to dial it back one second that if you have a terrible accent, but you know you're good at working accents and you have a dialogue coach and you know all the people you can work with, you should absolutely not do an accent in your audition. Let them fall in love with your fabulous talent. And you do add to your slate that I have a great dialogue coach and I'm happy to work on them, work with them for the role if I should be cast. I'm great at accents or whatever the story is because a mediocre accent will not get you the job, even if your acting was okay. So let them fall in love with the acting, we'll worry about the accent later. So that's one step of it because sometimes they'll just change their mind and go, oh, okay. Because I've had it happen before on a show that they wanted Baltimore accents and that's very specific. And then in the end, they're like, ugh, drop the Baltimore accents. We don't, like if somebody had one, super, but if not, very specific. It's like Boston's very specific. Get them right or don't do them at all <laughs> because it sounds terrible. Uh, and yeah. so that becomes tricky. Now they've met you with this British accent, you know, in in the slate. So now they're feeling you're British. So it it again goes like to every situation. I just hate when that's the answer because in some situations to make them think you're British, it's going to be better because they're going to feel more comfortable. Like, Ooh, I have a Brit doing the British accent. But if then somebody in the circle knows that you're not British, they're like, why are they slating like that? Like I've met them at the whatever. (laughs) It's a little tricky. But then of course, like David has that great story about him with the Australian accent. So So I think you have to really suss out the situation to know when I should lead with this accent because that's going to help me get the role or it may potentially hinder. So that's where with your rep, And based on the rep's relationship with the casting director, I would say ask the question because then the casting director is going to know that audience. Oh, yeah, I think the director is definitely going to be more into it if they feel like it's somebody British. So, yeah, 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 slate with the British accent. Like that's where I would want to get into the dialogue. So we're strategically organizing each audition based on the parameters of that audition because each situation is just different. It is. That's true. But so, just- again, get as much information as you can. If a dialogue can happen between reps, between you, between the casting director, whatever it is, that let's craft the best situation for this specific audition. Because, again, every, every person is different. Absolutely. And if you don't, if you're not great at accents, just I, also when I'm <laughs> coaching and teaching, I would just make people work on scenes with British accents. Even if they weren't good at them. So, but the more you do them, you get better at them. And then it was forcing them to find the scenes and watch the TV shows. And the more you hear it, then the more you can mimic and interpret. So uh, I think you just have to be working on that too. I mean, it's why the Brits and the Australians and the New Zealanders, that is really a huge focus in their acting training is accents. It's why they're all on American TV shows. And then we see them in an interview and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't know they weren't American. You know, if you didn't read an article and know where they were from before you saw them in a show. I mean, I saw Six Feet Under. I had no idea Rachel Griffiths was not an American. And then I saw her in an interview and I was like, whoa, wait a minute. She's not American? So it's because they really focus on it and they spend a lot of time doing it. It's, it's important, you know, in their training. And I don't think that's as emphasized unilaterally in American training programs. 
No, it really isn't actually. It's not a focus. Whereas it's just if you take it, like if you want to, like I think it's something you could choose as an elective. But don't you think it should be something they have to do? Because there's always going to be a situation where you need to, you know, speak a different accent. Yes, even on House of Cards. Mm -hmm. Like there was politicos from every state. There's a bazillion states below the Mason-Dixon line who all have different accents. So you can't just have a generic Southern accent. So specifically one of them, like one of the actors I know, she is from Tennessee. She grew up in Tennessee. So I had her record a little voice memo for me and I would play it for everybody. But okay, this is what Tennessee sounds like. You need to sound like her. So she recorded the script so they could literally hear the script before they auditioned because then people were coming in not with the accent. There's certain words that people from different regions in the States say things differently. It's the same word, but it's pronounced differently depending where you're from. People from Pennsylvania say quarter and water a very specific way. And, you know, so there's various different things. So you want to know all the nuance in the States, just the States alone. There's so much diversity. And often people will overlook that because they'll just say it the way they say it. And that's where I'm like, script detective, where are they from? What does that accent sound like? And if you don't know a word, look it up. If you're not sure how to pronounce it, look it up. There was one time I was coaching and the uh, young actress said the word in one way. And I was like, oh, oh, I, I think this word is pronounced another way. And she said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm sure there's a, a writer or something and this is the way they pronounce it. And I was like, yeah, I know. But the writer specifically mentioned this school and it was, it was a name that was in a school. But then this person was also a writer. I was like, it's, let's see if it's a real school. Google, real school. I went so far as to call the real school. So I could hear the voicemail pick up to see how you say the word. And not that I wanted to be right, but I was right and she was wrong. So she would have mispronounced a word in her audition. If it was important enough for them to write that school and it's a real school, they probably wrote it for a reason and they want it to be pronounced correctly. (laughs) So, you know, it's so important to really do the homework on all that stuff. So you're saying things correctly. And with that tone, like people from Chicago say the word Chicago in a very specific way. So it's a telltale that you're not from Chicago if you don't say Chicago the way they say it. And that was probably not even a perfect interpretation, but close to the real. But it's like New Orleans. You know, we say New Orleans and other people say New Orleans, you know. Yes. Yes. People are from that region. It's just a big thing. It just all rolls together. Yeah, exactly. Well, and then you have some people who call it New Orleans. Like it just so it depends where you are and where you've grown up that influences the way you say things. If you're from New Jersey, N-E-W-A-R-K is Newark. But if you're from Delaware, it's Newark. <laughs> That's it's right. the exact same word. <laughs> and so, again, depending the state you're from, it would be pronounced that way. And it would be a glaring mistake if you said interchangeably did those in the wrong state people would know that it wasn't correct. But that's the power of research, the power of understanding, you know, what that role is and where it's from and that yes. who, what, when, where, why. 
I think. If you don't love research, I just think you shouldn't be in this business. I mean, that's why it's taking me so long to read this script because every, like every third page, I'll come across something. I'll go, is that true? Is that right? Because then it says the person is wearing their AA chip around their neck. And I'm like, can you wear an AA chip around your neck? I don't know. So of course I was researching, can you wear an AA chip around your neck? And yes, there is a necklace. You can wear it as a necklace because it's really good to keep it in the front of your mind that you're wearing your chip as okay good so this fact is correct in the script so right exactly i fact checked the guns with you know my brother-in-law who works for doj i was like which guns would they be using what kind of dogs would they be so like i'm a crazy person with the research so it takes me forever to read scripts because i can't go past like i got to know this answer right now i can't just keep going until i know the answer <laughs> but i feel like you need to be like that if you're going to be great it really understanding the role shoot in this that i asked in the schedule can we have military training for <laughs> the actors and i said and i want to go because i want to know how to hold the gun so in case they're not holding the gun right i know it's not right and i know how to fix it what if that's the moment <laughs> that our gun specialist went to the bathroom and we can't wait <laughs> i need to know so if you don't have a desire to just know stuff i just don't know how you can you know, exist in this business. Cause it's just, that's what also makes it fun. Yeah. I think curiosity as an actor is, is, is essential because that's what gives you that edge. I think I'm sure you'll agree. Oh, with that, you know? absolutely. 100%. And often when I find, so back to the question, um, Sheila about the sparkle that if you're really having difficulty with the script, make sure that your character is curious and i find when i give that note to actors that i want your character to be curious in this scene it adds a whole new layer of stuff going on so you start experiencing the scene in a very different way so curiosity very important as a human but very important to put that task to yeah. your character as well it brings up a lot of stuff if you just if for nothing else you just make them curious <laughs> It really had some new gray layers. I've seen it happen in real time. Right. Absolutely. We're, we, well, we've reached the end of our room. I mean, Kimberly, you are such a gem. I mean, you have worked on so many different projects, you know, from the Girlfriend's Experience, The House of Cards, Deep Impact, True Lies, Random Hearts, Pelican Brief, and major commercials for Bud Light, Under Armour, and The Washington Post, to name just a few. I mean, you're... Um, I didn't introduce you in the beginning, so I'm doing it now. That's right. Because we, I just, just, we just dove in and started talking. We just dove. I love that, though. <laughs> you There's know, just so but, much to talk you know, about. You were, you were the president of the Women in Film and Television Snatch for five years, and you were a founding member of the past, sorry, member of the Television Internet Video Association and the Peer Awards. You're a member of the Casting Society of America, the Television Academy, the New York Production Alliance and several women in film chapters nationwide. I mean, you are such a blessing to us all for being here today. Thank you again. Oh, it's, it's again, it's my pleasure to share. I feel as though many have shared with me, so I am happy to just extend Thank it back. You. And I know in one film that's not listed there, I do have to say, and it was such a favorite director that I worked with was Jonathan Demme. So, oh, wow, have... he's great. Oh, yes. I worked on Beloved with him and just, again, he, for me, punctuated 
and not that I mean Alan Pakula was also very nice, but he just punctuated how important it is to be kind to people, and so he was just he was what I always thought was important for a director and just somebody at the creative you know helm of a project that he was just so kind and and so wonderful. And then another specific one too, uh, Carl Franklin, who I worked with on House of Cards has become a very good friend. And he too is, again, he comes to it from an actor. He's a real storyteller. So I relate to those directors that are real storytellers and come to it from acting. And also the same with Sidney Pollack. And so, and also like my other homework for everybody, if you do not listen to directors' commentaries of films, if you have your DVD collection, go to that special extras section and watch the films with the commentaries you will learn so much that will inform your acting tremendously because they're talking about the experience of working with actors and working with the different departments and having an understanding from the director's point of view about how all of these other departments are important is just going to make you a better actor because you're really informing yourself about the wheel that you are a part of exactly so we're squeezing in one more question from eric of course, of course. Eric, are you there? Yeah. So do you have, or do casting directors have a secret podcast they listen to? <laughs> I love that. Uh, we do not. Although with Rose Rosen, our uh, clubhouse days, a lot of the recordings, and we've been doing some ancillary ones now on Zoom that we are trying to create a podcast. I feel like informing yourself of having an understanding of director's work for me i think is very helpful because knowing how they work helps you to know how to find actors for them to work with because much like every human has a learning style i think that translates in, into people's acting styles and how they become good at acting and who are their great teachers so all things equal if there's two actors that they like depending what the style of the director is and the style of the actor, I think you should, you know, inf make that informed decision in suggesting your top choice if they're they're asking because you know who they're going to more easily work with because that becomes a very important relationship too. Well, very well put. And, you know, I think casting directors are known as the gatekeepers, but, you know, they know the shows, they know their stuff, and you've done a very well job a very good job articulating all that thanks my pleasure i don't know if we're really gatekeepers though it's a collaboration we can't really yep. do our job without it actors because that's what we do <laughs> so sindora let's let's be the you be the final question for the for the session today oh yeah oh it's super short but um yeah this was super gorgeous to listen to and you're all like gorgeous humans um uh, I was wondering for Kimberly like or even like Versa like are you guys looking for are you guys looking or have room for people to shadow or like help out in your offices and stuff just to see like the ins and outs of what you do and stuff that's to shadow yeah like shadow or like just like kind of like um observe just be a fly on yeah, the wall. Yeah, exactly. I was chuckling and my <laughs> microphone was off. I should make Judah come up and tell the story. I I studied teaching before I studied acting in college. So I am just an eternal teacher and lifelong learner. So I'm always happy 
to, you know, have people be engaged in the process and learn what they can learn from, you know, what's going on. So at any given time, I have anywhere usually from, I don't know, two or three to like six or eight interns because, and then some of them just keep hanging on. They don't go away because they're just still learning stuff. So yes, I can put, um, well, you can find me on Instagram and just send me a DM if you're interested. And I just loop people into things. I have them come and listen in on table reads and read scripts or just do whatever is going to help you be better at this industry. Yeah, thank you so much. Definitely. I'll definitely reach out. Fantastic. Juliet. Yes. Hello. How are you hello. guys? Good. I just want to say, Versa, first of all, thank you so much for this room. Excellent, as always. Um, but I just wanted to hop up here and give Kimberly a shout. Um, she just mentioned teaching. I've taken her class. I'm a student of hers. And if you think this was good, your mind will be blown if you take a class from her. I just, it has done wonders for my career and my booking rate skyrocketed. And just, I, I'm a huge Kimberly fan and would completely give my full endorsement and recommendation. She's a wonderful human and, and just Aww. fantastic teacher. Oh, we love that. That's, thank you. That's... Thank you, Juliet. I appreciate it. And she was a great student because she allowed herself to fall down in class. And, and then figure stuff out. And so now when you go to the audition room, you just feel so confident because you fall down, you get back up, you find out how it works, and then you don't make mistakes in the audition room and your self-tapes. And I want to say um, the in the chat, there's ways in which they can connect with you. I think your email is KimberlyScomicCreativeSeries at gmail.com for if they want to get in touch with you regarding classes and private sessions, etc. So let's do a shout out for you for that. It's fantastic. Yes, perfect. Perfect. All right, my love. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, everyone, for sharing in this room and being here. And we'll see you all back here next week at 10 a.m. Friday. Fantastic. Oh, Have a wonderful yes, weekend. Yes, wonderful weekend, everybody. And remember, creativity never retires. We're in this for the long haul. We really are. <laughs> I love that. And that is exciting. What a great show to end on. All right. See you all next week and have a great weekend. Bye.